This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaw. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. We're in the midst of playoffs now. Wild card round is over, headed towards the divisional round. Lots and lots to talk about. And a special guest as well, uh, Brian Westbrook, coming in to join us. But in the meantime, let's bring in our producer, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the show, Greg. Dr. Chow, great to be with you. Happy new decade from our podcast last week. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes me feel old, though. I mean, decade? (laughs) Oh, don't worry. I'm 26, and now I'm feeling old because it's like, man, it's been a whole decade. Well, let me tell you, as the old guy in the room, um, you just started to hit the first doldrums. Let me tell you, every birthday in your life is really fairly significant, right? 16, 17, 18, last year, 19, 20, 21 is obviously big. And then even 22, 25, but once you hit 26, there's no difference between 26, 27, 28. Maybe 29 seems impactful because you're going to be 30. Obviously, 30 is a big deal. And then you, after 30, you have a whole decade of inconsequential birthdays. <laughs> Before so, you get over the hump. Yeah, well, look at you. Over the hump at 40? I mean, <laughs> we say over the hump at 50? <laughs> My dad yeah. got a shirt for his 40th birthday that said he was over the hump. So that always stuck with me. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, you're, you're in the inconsequential birthday era, so welcome. Well, the first segment here, we do have a couple of things, lots of things to talk about. We'll address is Carson Wentz injury prone. I see that on the internet a lot. We'll address the issue of informed consent. Uh, Zach Gertz playing, J.J. Watt playing, a couple other things as well. We'll address Tua, et cetera. A couple of quick uh, things. Uh, Tua obviously has turned pro, and we'll talk about that as well in our potpourri section. We'll talk about cracked helmets and and even get in Harvard there. Well, actually, let's just do it now. First of all, Harvard, quite a game. Titans beat the Patriots. Mike Rabel beating Bill Belichick. Rabel giving Belichick a taste of his own medicine with that timeout scenario. Just over five minutes running out all that clock. I thought that was pretty cool. One of the cooler uh, moments of the of the whole thing. But another unseen thing is Tennessee Titans tight end Anthony Fersker. Fersker. With the uh, touchdown, Harvard guy, my guy, Crimson guy, touchdown, and local boy makes good. I mean, I'm sure when he was going to school, Patriots were the be-all. They're winning championships, winning Super Bowls. And he comes into New England and helps take him down. I thought that was kind of cool. Another interesting little observation. It didn't turn out to matter because Kirk Cousins came through. But I was a little bit eyebrow-raising about uh, Dalvin Cook, first and goal, and he came out of the game and was out of the game for several plays with a cracked helmet. Yeah, there are multiple helmets on the sidelines. I get you got to refit the bladder and some other things. But number one, couldn't you just borrow someone's helmet? Number two, is it worth potentially calling a timeout? I don't know. Number three, if you cracked your helmet, I don't. I didn't see that he got a concussion check or a mandatory concussion check. Is it worthwhile in that situation maybe just to take a knee? Uh, you're going to be out one play anyways instead of being out three or four. Sit out on the field. Take a knee. It's not illegal. Let them come out and check you. Tell them you got a cracked helmet. Get a new helmet going. Go to the sideline. Get checked out quickly for one play and then return. But I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting sequence. In the end, it didn't matter. But it is interesting that you had a player with a cracked helmet and it was reported that way. And uh, even all the concussion spotters and the red hats and everything else, I'm not aware that he got a concussion checker screen uh, with the cracked helmet. At least it wasn't reported. Anyways, let's get into some of our bigger topics. Uh, Tua has declared for the NFL draft. 
Uh, apparently, his hip checkup things have been good. But Greg, we talked about it some on this podcast. I used two of his own words, money lost is money lost, uh, when he thought about maybe going back to school since he might be dropping in the draft. First of all, even if he is drafting, dropping in the draft, it was always my impression that he should declare. The main reason is, heck, if you go back to school and you get hurt again, it will be four surgeries in two and a half years potentially. So that's not good. Remember, he had the two ankle surgeries and then this hip issue. Number two, why not rehab or go on the NFL's dime? Number three, even if you don't get the money that you want or aren't drafted as high as you want, you need to start burning the clock. First round draft pick is a five-year contract. Second round is a four-year contract. And the prices and your payments and your salary is relatively slotted and fixed. How you get the big money is the second contract, the generational money, knowing that he's going to get post-traumatic arthritis in his hip. That's a fact. How quickly is the question? If you have a limited number of miles on your car or on your tires, you're going to keep driving friends for free or do you want to start signing up for Uber and getting paid, right? I mean, you might as well get paid and start burning clock, get to the second contract more quickly, et cetera. And he has declared, so that's good, I think, good for him. Normally, I'm a big stay-in-school guy, but in this case, I think he needed to declare. The other thing is, and we've talked about this too, Greg, decades ago, (laughs) really sound old, over a decade ago, GMs would say, hey, if we draft this guy in the first round, can he be our left tackle for the next 12, 15 years? Let me tell you, at the beginning of this last decade, it's changed. In 2010 and 11, it was can this player get through the first contract? If this player can get through the first contract, we can draft him. The GMs don't have the long-range vision anymore. I mean, no one's around for that long anymore. The advantage is the cheaper salary in the first four or five years before you really have to pay him. So GMs are much more concerned about four or five years as opposed to 10, 12, or 15. I don't believe Tua's going to drop that far. I think as long as he doesn't have AVN, which I think it will be clear he doesn't, I don't think he's going to throw out combines, but then again, or work out. But then again, most top draft picks don't. But I'm confident he's still going, the, going in the first half of the first round uh, and maybe even top 10. I've been seeing uh, a lot about so. drafts and they've been having, having him slotted as such. And I'm right there with you. Just take a look at some of these teams that made the Super Bowl recently. Russell Wilson made it twice under his first contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Jared Goff last year, first contract because he saved so much money because after a quarterback performs well, you have to pay them 20 plus billion dollars a year. Yeah. And obviously Goff sort of was on first contract. He got his extension. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a quarterback league, right? And so there's a premium on quarterbacks. They always go higher than, than, then if you go by the the best available talent, the quarterback always jumps up from where his talent is. And two is talented. And I don't downgrade him for his ankle surgeries. The hip, everyone will take a look at. But there's some interesting stuff out there. Here's what will happen. This is the dirty pool that's kind of played. If a team wants to, uh, they'll start putting out flyers that say their doctors think he's injured, that he's got a hip problem. To try, you know, look, if a team's at 12 and wants Tua, and I have no idea who's at 12, I just may pick that number out of the air, and they want Tua, they might start saying, well, we think there's a problem with his hip. Or let's say the Dolphins, who've been long rumored to want Tua and need a quarterback, instead of spending the first of three round picks on Tua, maybe they start saying, I don't know, Tua's hip, I don't know, uh, we don't think we're going to take him. And to, to be able to take Tua with the second pick of the first round. Who knows? Um, so the bottom line is, I can tell you this, as a former team doctor, when I was in the NFL, there could have been as many media reports out there in the world, but I would never listen to them. Most of the times I would never read them. Even if I saw them for fun, I wouldn't listen to them. I mean, I got to examine the player, look at his x-rays, look at his MRI. I mean, that's way better than any media report. Heck, players all the time came in with their doctor's notes. I would read them out of curiosity and for fun, but they always said the guy's fine because why would you pre- present a reference and a doctor's note essentially a reference? 
Greg, if you were going to a job interview, are you going to pre present a written reference that says you're not that good and you don't show up on time? Oh, Maybe you know I happen? would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to get the reference that says he does a good job, right? I mean, same thing with these doctor's letters. So don't you worry. Doctors don't listen to the reports that are out there. They, they make their own judgments. But I'm glad that I'm happy for Tua that he declared. I think it's the right thing for him. Let's go to Carson Wentz and injury prone because it kind of ties in. I mean, heck, is Tua injury prone? He's had three surgeries in the last two years. I would say no. Number one, that hip was a freak accident with two players jumping on his back and just hitting him at the right time. The ankle injuries we've talked about, those were more prophylactic surgeries and uh, a choice to have them to try and prevent future problems. So I don't even count the ankles against him as surgeries. I don't think two is injury prone. Of course, any quarterback that runs around is more prone to injury and taking hits. I mean, uh, look at my man, Philip Rivers, 230 consecutive starts. When he stays in the pocket, he's not that mobile. He can slide up against the rush, but he's not going to run the ball. Uh, and it uh, doesn't take a lot of hits. People would say, Russell Wilson, he runs. And he doesn't. Why is he okay? Well, he runs smartly. I mean, he runs when there's open space, and he is running more recently because their running game is stagnant with the injuries. But he always gets down. He doesn't take the hit. So is Carson Wentz injury prone? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Here's why. Number one, yes, he's had three significant injuries. One was that, that ACL-LCL, hardly his fault. And he was tough. He even finished the series. He came back early. And he probably came back too early, which is why he got the back stress fracture as he was compensating for the knee. He got the back stress fracture. So you could almost say those two were related. It's not like he's injury prone. And now that he's healthy again, he got hit. Whether you say it was an illegal hit from Jadavian Clowney or not, whether you say it's a penalized hit or not, the bottom line is he still was going to miss the game with the concussion. That's the rules. That's the protocol. But think about this. If he slides feet first and instead of a one-yard loss gets a three-yard loss, does he get hit? I think his aggressive style potentially makes him more prone to injury, but not injury prone. I get it. It's the new NFL. There are a lot more quarterbacks that are mobile and run than not. But look at Aaron Rodgers. He's typically gotten hurt out of the pocket, whether he's dumped on his shoulder by Anthony Barr or whatever. It's been out of the pocket. Tony Romo's career ended out of the pocket. All the quarterbacks getting injured typically are getting injured, extending plays. And that's where there's more danger. All the protections are in the, the pocket. And if you even go by what the referee said, whether you agree with the referee or not, he was a runner and uh, it was incidental helmet contact. And he even said the protections go away once you're a runner. So once protections went away and because he's aggressive and that's kind of why he's successful, he's aggressive. So I don't know that you can completely curtail it, but my answer is he is not in any way, shape, or form, injury prone. But he might be more prone to injury when he's aggressive, extending plays, and running the ball. That's just true for everyone. Anyways, penalty or not, he was still going to be out of the game, and that was too bad. We'll ask our next guest about that, uh, Brian Westbrook, and some of Eagle's insight next. But it was a bad sign that he went to the blue tent and had to go to the locker room. If you're good to go, you can get cleared in the blue tent. And once you get sent to the locker room, that's a sign that you need further evaluation. I would much rather have a guy who goes straight to the locker room. A guy who goes straight to the locker room has a much better chance of coming back than a guy who made a pit stop in the blue tent for head injury and then goes to the locker room. And sure enough, Wentz did not return. And a lot was made that, uh, oh my gosh, maybe it's really bad. His wife was called down. Well, that was a sure sign that he wasn't coming back once you call in the wife. And some other people said, why didn't he come back and stand on the sidelines with his teammates? You can't. You're not allowed to. Once you're ruled out from concussion, you are not allowed to do so. One other thing, Greg, that I thought was interesting with the profootballdoc.com effort, got some guys working and 
at least one of the guys who does some gambling in-game legally, et cetera, he was telling me that uh, when the game was 3-3, three to three, Seahawks versus the Eagles, and Wentz was in the locker room, the in-game line was minus 3.5. We put out at ProFootballDoc.com, and then five minutes later put out on Twitter that Wentz is not coming back based on what I see in the time. And within four minutes of putting it out on Twitter, the in-game line, the, the score was still 3-3. The ball movement wasn't any different. Uh, nobody was in the red zone. The uh, line changed to minus seven within four minutes. <laughs> in-game. You're a line mover, Dr. Chow. I love it. Well, in-game lines are easier to move, obviously. But yeah, we've seen that before, the line move. But Ultimately, this injury information is going to become more and more important as more and more people play in game with some of these key injuries, right? I mean, in the end, admittedly, whether you took the Seahawks at three minus three and a half or you took the Seahawks at minus seven, you would have still covered, right? <laughs> You're a gambler, Greg. I mean, what what is three and a half points in game worth? It's worth I mean, quite a bit, especially with key numbers, because when you go from having to lay a little bit over a field goal to that full touchdown, that is so critical. Yeah, but uh, we'll keep playing with that. That's just an aside. The main topic here, and I don't want to run too long here, is informed consent. I hope everyone saw I was not critical of the Eagles or Zach Ertz for playing with the kidney issue. If anything, I was critical of the spin saying that they were being cautious. I don't believe they're being cautious. Two weeks from any size kidney laceration playing is not cautious. It's edgy. I'm not saying it's dumb. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's not cautious. Why? Because if you're a high school player or a college player and you have any tiny kidney laceration, you're ruled out for minimum a month. You're not playing in two weeks. Zach Ertz got cleared and he played in two weeks. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as he understood what the risks were, which I think he did, it's called informed consent. But it's not cautious. It's the NFL. It's edgy. J.J. Watt was not cautious. The Houston Texans doctors, who I love and I think do a great job, were not cautious. They were edgy in letting J.J. Watt play a little over two months from his pec tendon repair. And it paid off. He made a key sack that started the turnaround, I think, for the uh, Texans. There was the okey-doke, right? He's going to play a limited number of plays. The first series, he plays one play out of six. Next defensive series, two plays out of eight. And then all of a sudden, he finishes with like 50-some out of 80 because <laughs> they needed him. Um, and he did well. Uh, he wasn't 100%, but 80% J.J. Watt is pretty good. But that's called informed consent. There's nothing wrong with it. I was never critical of Zach Ertz. I get it. People are going to say, oh, it's a kidney. But he wasn't going to die. He could have bled, and he could have maybe a 1% chance of losing a kidney and being done at the NFL. But I actually watched the game with a former NFL player, and he was saying, what's Ertz doing playing with his kidney? That's stupid. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I would never do that. I said, okay, what if the doctors told you that you didn't have a chance of dying, although, I mean, heck, you could die in a car accident too or from the stadium. You weren't going to die. You had a 1% chance of losing your kidney, which means your football career would be done, and a 10% or 15% chance of causing further bleeding by taking a hit and making the kidney worse, which just would mean you're out for the rest of the playoffs. What would you do? It took him a half second to say, I'm playing. And so, I get why people are more worried about the kidney, but I'm not critical of what the Eagles decided. I'm not critical of what J.J. Watt decided to do, what Quan Alexander is about to do. I did it myself. If you go back to the Philip Rivers analogy and go back and listen to the Philip Rivers podcast um, that we had on there, we talked about it. I mean, he had a torn ACL six days from an e-scope, and he said he wanted to play. We laid out the odds. We put a brace on in a certain way to try and protect him, just like they put a strap on J.J. Watt to try and protect him, just like they put a flak jacket on Zach Ertz. We gave him the risks, and he decided to play. So in no way am I critical of the Eagles, because if I were, I'd be criticizing myself for being edgy 
with Philip Rivers. So it's all about informed consent. And by the way, Greg, I was told, and I and I was kind of flattered by this because I probably did get a little grief, and there was some eyebrows raised by other doctors in the NFL when they heard what I did. Let me tell you, when that next year at the combines, everyone came up to me and said, "What happened there? What was the real story? Did you really let him play with that? What was your thinking?" And so I probably was edgier, but I didn't drive the edginess. It was the player that drove it. Apparently, J.J. Watt was told. I tweeted this, but I'll I'll do the real version. I won't do the edited down version. On uh, Twitter, I said, heck, but I'll do the real version. But apparently, J.J. Watt was told about Philip Rivers' situation and said, look, this is what Rivers did. This is why this is dangerous. And this is risky. And he wanted to do it. Here's, yours is a similar situation, and this is your risk, et cetera. And J.J. Watt's response, and I think everyone heard him say, look, yeah, I understand there's a risk I could retear. There's a risk I could repair it again and not be as strong, but I was willing to take the risk. But J.J. Watt, upon hearing the Rivers example, I was told, said, fuck yes. It's <laughs> our body. It's our careers. Explain everything to us and let us decide. As long as I'm not going to die, let us decide. That's paraphrasing, kind of, but that's where I stand on the informed consent thing. Look, we've said this before, Greg. Riding a motorcycle is not illegal. Everyone will tell you riding a motorcycle is more dangerous than driving in a car. Yes, you could get injured riding in a car, driving in a car, and and even die. Yes, you can get hurt on a motorcycle, but statistics will tell you riding a motorcycle is more dangerous than driving in a car. But it's not illegal. To me, it's all about informed consent. As long as Zach Ertz, J.J. Watt, and Philip Rivers were told about all the consequences, ups and downsides of everything, and they understood it, I think it's reasonable. Now, if the percentages were different, if it were a 1% chance of dying and a 10% chance of losing your kidney, I would expect the doctors to step forward and say, Zach Ertz, you cannot play. He had two rib fractures and a rib cartilage fracture, so really three ribs fractured. But he got through the game, it seems like, and good for him, although they're not moving on. I'm sure he has no regrets. All right, next up here after the break, we're going to bring in, bring in uh, Brian Westbrook. I mean, obviously, Greg, I don't have the greatest planning. I mean, it would be even better if the Eagles had won and brought in Brian. <laughs> but I still think it would be uh, interesting to hear from so let's take a break and we'll come back for segment two, our guest segment of CoFootball.com. This is the ProFootball.com podcast with Dr. David Jeff. Welcome back to segment two of the ProFootball.com podcast. Very pleased to have the special guest on, someone that I didn't used to like as much because he was on the other sideline uh, uh, on the field tormenting us. Very pleased to have him on here today. My only issue is I've mistimed this. The Eagles didn't win. In any case, welcome to the show, Bryant Westbrook. Thank you so much, Doc, for having me. I appreciate it. And you're right. Uh, you did mistime this, this, this doggone podcast. The Eagles, they did not win yesterday, unfortunately. And they had an awful lot of injuries to deal with. So I'm sure you were busy trying to figure out throughout the season exactly what was going on in Philadelphia. Uh, among the worst, uh, the Eagles. Well, as far as if Carson Wentz doesn't take that hit from Jadavian Clowney, is it a different game? Well, there's no doubt about it. It certainly is a different game. I, I don't know that I, I still would have had the Eagles winning the game, even though he was there. In fact, I, I picked against them. I picked the Seahawks because I thought they had more experience and I thought they were a better football team. But it is a different game with Carson Wentz in the, in, in the game. And I, I think he's proven over the last month of football that he has the ability to get the group of guys that he has around him, many of which were on the practice squad and, you know, on the streets for the most part, to play well for him. And so I think it would have been a different game. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to finish that deal. Yeah, the old man did pretty well, at least by the numbers. But obviously, he's not the same player as, as Carson and I kind of got a little bit of a chuckle out of all the people saying oh, it should have been a penalty on Clowney. Penalty or not, he's still out of the game, right? I mean, right, right, doesn't right. change anything. You, you know, it's funny. So I do a bunch of radio. I have a couple shows in Philly, of course. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in Philly, they obviously they get upset 
uh, when you don't agree with them. I, I thought <laughs> I, I didn't think it was a dirty hit at all. I thought it was a you know it was an attempt at a tackle. I thought that um, you know, I think he should have been penalized, quite honestly. But uh, other than that, that's that's football. This is how the game is played these days. It's football. He tried to make a play. I've seen much much worse um, not be called in. And so because of that, I just thought that you, you continue to play on. And, of course, it's unfortunate when a guy gets knocked out of the game because of a hit. But that is part of the game. And I've seen those types of hits happen plenty of times in the past. Yeah, I mean, whether it's penalized, whether it's dirty, and you say penalty but not dirty. Um, I happened to watch some of the game with Quentin Jammer, one of the best okay. tacklers around. And uh-huh. he said absolutely not dirty. And, of course, he didn't think it was even should be penalized. It's just part of the game. <laughs> but all, the only reason I say penalty, because they kind of oh. changed the rules to where, where quarterback gives himself up pretty much no matter which way he goes down, whether he slides feet first or head first, a quarterback kind of gives himself up. So, in theory, you're not supposed to hit him after that. But, you know, and back in the day when I was playing, which sounds sounds crazy for me to say, that's a play on and you just continue to play the football game. And so they've changed well, the rules. They, well, know, back in the day, that was a play on for Jadavian Clowney in terms of penalty or anything else. But that was also a play on for Carson Wentz. Exactly. That is true. That is true. He gets <laughs> I mean, up back and keeps in the day. You're right about that. I mean, we just did a podcast here last week about the changes across the decade. Think about this. Ten years ago, that was a play on. A mm-hmm. decade ago, Nobody self-reported a concussion. A decade ago, we didn't know what CTE meant in the, in the, in the vernacular, right? I mean, so a lot has changed in terms of, uh, go, look, back in the day for you and, and you're recent still. If you got, if you took a good hit and saw some stars, you go, Oof, that's a good one. Shake it off, right? Nowadays, right. it's a good concussion evaluation and, and different. And it's totally, totally different in terms of, what's going on there. So uh, that certainly is uh, interesting. You did mention something about Eagles fans, and I get my share of grief from Eagles fans because they're passionate, right? I got some, uh, uh, it's a podcast, I get. I guess I can say it, I got some shut the fuck ups about my Zach Ertz <laughs> opinions, you know? <laughs> I mean, right. why are you being so negative? I didn't take it as negative, uh, right? I, I was saying if you have a kidney laceration, no matter how small, in two weeks, if you're a high school football player or a college football player, there's no doctor in the country that will clear you. Mm-hmm. This is the NFL, informed consent. It's possible that he could get cleared to play. And some of the Eagles fans got on me for that. I think that's just being honest. Well, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Listen, I mean, this is just from a player's perspective. I've played with broken ribs before for a small amount of time, and it wasn't fun. I, I don't know how Zach Ertz even played with him, quite honestly. But if I had the additional uh, injury of the lacerated kidney, now you got to start questioning how important is a game. And, of course, listen, I, I know it's an important game as far as the playoffs and stuff like that. But, you know, we all have lives outside of football. And we, you know, oh, yeah. hopefully after we're done, we got another, you know, 50, 60, 70 years to live. you got to wonder – at some point, it stops making sense. And so I'm glad that Zach kind of got out of that game without re-injuring himself or not having any types of big, big issues. But, I mean, it certainly was a risky situation for him to go out there and play with that lacerated kidney only maybe a couple of weeks after, after sustaining that injury. No question. And really what it comes down to is I'm not saying it was reckless or wrong to play, but it certainly wasn't cautious. It was edgy. Right. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like like J.J. Watt playing with his patella with his torn pack or, or two months from his torn pack. It's edgy. You know, it's his choice. And it is it is what it is. So the more important question is, if you're you're I know you're a media guy in Philadelphia and you're Mr. Eagles. People are telling me to shut up about Ertz or Wentz or any of this stuff. I mean, yesterday when I said during the game and they hadn't made the announcement yet, I said, look, when you go to the blue tent and then you go in the locker room. The chances you're coming out of the locker room are a lot smaller than when you go straight into the locker room because you already didn't pass the first screen. And then when he passed 15 minutes, I'm like, mm, yeah, every ticking minute, he's not coming back. And then uh, I think Chris Mortensen or someone said, oh, his wife went down the locker room. I'm like, oh, he's done, done. And I got a lot of, 
you know, be quiet and whatever. How is it that you can be Mr. Eagle and then pick against the Eagles and still make it through the day? Well, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people get upset, and, and I had to kind of defend it on Twitter just a bit. You know, I play for the Eagles, and I always want them to win. Now, do I think that they're the better team every single week? Absolutely not. I mean, do I think that they're outmatched at times? Absolutely. And, and so my job as an analyst at this point is to be true to the game, be true to my, my chosen profession right now. And, and the other part to that is I, I don't cash checks that say Philadelphia Eagles on them anymore, right? And so <laughs> my, my, my checks say something totally different. And my loyalty to the team is I'm an alumni. And I, and I, of course, I want them to win. But when it comes down to my doing my job right now, I'm, I'm going to tell people what I feel, what I think from my study of the game. And, and a lot of people still don't like it. The people in Philadelphia still don't like it when you pick against them. But, I mean, from my perspective, you got to deal with it because that's not going to change me trying to trying to do my job. So, well, um, and, that, and, that's, and those are football facts. And those are your eyes, right? I mean, right. You, you didn't build a roster. You didn't create the injuries. You didn't create the mismatches. I get it. Uh, the the off-use analogy I always say, Brian, is Philly fans probably get on you. My GM sometimes used to get on me. And you know what I used to tell them? When I said, oh, they're like, what are you doing to me? You know, you got all these injuries. I'm like, look, I'm Paul Revere. I'm not the British, right? I mean, right, right. I'm, I'm not creating the injuries. I'm just right. here to inform you. You are you didn't build the roster. You didn't create the injuries. You didn't give Jordan Howard his stinger. I mean, you're just saying. That's right. They're, they're shorthanded. Speaking of which, what was this rumor is true with Jordan Howard? A, he wore a Westbrook jersey. Tell me about that. And B, what happened to Jordan Howard? He was active the last two weeks but didn't do anything. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if there was any truth to that rumor about him wearing my jersey. I, I did not see that. So if he did, I, I would appreciate that. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But um, you talk about the last couple of weeks and, you know, what has happened, and, and it happens across the NFL every single year, that when a guy gets injured, that's going to give someone else an opportunity. And what has happened was early on in the season, Miles Sanders was the, the starter, and he just didn't play well. He played like a rookie. He wasn't patient. He lacked vision. He couldn't set up his blocks. He couldn't make people miss in space. And Jordan Howard came in, and he played well. And the Eagles were doing everything they could to make sure that Jordan Howard was getting as many reps and as many touches as he could. And, and at that point, that's when Jordan Howard got hurt. And then uh, from that point on, Miles Sanders, as a as a rookie running back, developed into one of the better running backs in the NFL. He played really, really well. And then the last couple of weeks, Boston Scott played well. And so now you get towards the end of the season, week 17 of the season, Jordan Howard is uh, supposedly able to come back and play with that, that shoulder. And they're saying, well, why would we mess up our lineup now? Why would we mess up our rotation when our two young running backs have been playing really well? We, we don't want to, you know, kind of, if it's not broke, don't fix it type of thing. And the Eagles just went with the hot hands. And I completely understand that. And and, and I, who knows what type of shape Jordan Howard was in after being out for a couple months of football. We, no one really knows. But the, the truth is, is that he wouldn't have played anyway because Miles Sanders and Boston Scott had been playing so well recently. I got that. I just thought it was unusual. He finally got activated the last two games. He didn't even get a carry. Didn't get a touch. Yeah. I thought that was a little uh, It, it, it feels almost like he was activated out of emergency because last game, Miles Sanders didn't play. And so just yes. kind of the if, if emergency break glass type of thing. And I, I think that was the case for uh, Jordan. Well, that almost happened. Last play of the half, right, with Miles Sanders. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Right. Uh, good, good. Since this is a medical podcast, uh, let's get to some uh, medical things here. I'm sure you've heard this. I hear it all the time. The Eagles medical staff seems to be kind of a punching bag out there in, in Philadelphia. What's your perception of the truth of the medical staff and what's going on? I have mine from afar, but you hear those things? I mean, or is it just fans or, or what have you? Yeah, I, I've heard those things and you've been in the league for a long time. The medical staff, I mean, it's kind of a thankless job. I mean, no matter oh, when yeah. a guy comes back, he was out too long. And um, if you're looking out for the safety of your players and making sure that they're healthy, you're getting punched in the face by the coaches because no matter how long it takes you to get them back, they, was, they were gone too long. And so um, it, it's one of those things where in this game period, it's almost impossible for everyone to be healthy all the time. And so throughout the week, 
the medical staff is constantly just trying to put guys back together. And I think the staff in Philadelphia, you know, they, they've been dealt. Deshaun Jackson has had injuries. He decided not to get surgery, uh, hernia surgery. Then later on in the season, he got surgery, so he never came back. Nelson Aguilar got hurt later on in the season, and he just seemed to miss a bunch of different games. Alshon is dealing with injuries. He's out for the year. And so they've been a punching bag recently because people just don't have confidence in them. The year, I mean, almost immediately after winning the Super Bowl, they fired their head trainer and all of their doctors there. And so until you had been there for a long time and have built up some credibility with the players, the coaches and the fans, um, you're you're an easy target. And I think that's what's happened to the people in Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and, and the Eagles certainly had their injuries, defensive injuries early in the season, with especially in the secondary. And then later in the season was all the offensive side. The, the right side of the offensive line was out. Three running, mm-hmm. three wide receivers were out. Two running backs, Zach Ertz, and then the quarterback, right? But I think you did hit on something there. To me, it's a hard job. And when you're young, whether you're young in the NFL or young in the medical portion of it, it's a hard job. Uh, see if you can get this question right. I've asked this on the podcast before. Name the only job, Brian, on Sundays in the NFL that requires no previous football experience. Chain gang, equipment guys, coaches, players, referees, you name it. That requires no previous football experience. Correct. The only job in the the NFL. (laughs) 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 Well, I I wouldn't say that's a job, though. I like that answer. But that's not necessarily a job, right? I mean, Um, I got money. You know what it is? It's team doctor. Team Team doctor. Wow. That is true. Because you could be a great doctor, a great surgeon, but your feet have never been on the grass. You could be a great right. sportsman, right? I mean, that sidelines, it's different, right? It's fast. It's different. I have known, I'm not calling out the experience of any doctors, but I've known plenty of NFL doctors whose first time covering a football game on the sideline was in the NFL. And wow. the speed of the game is fast. And the nuances of the NFL is hard. And so I think we're part of the Eagles get a bad rap. Look, first of all, they've changed doctors. They haven't been the same doctors. They've changed a couple times. First of all, what's unheard of to me, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's unheard of, is you win the Super Bowl and you fire your both longtime orthopedist and primary care doctor after you win the Super Bowl. That's happy Mm -hmm. times usually, right? I mean, you had some success. And what did the Eagles do? This is just an observation. Brian, would you would any NFL team ever go into a season with a first-time starting quarterback, a first-time quarterback coach, and a first-time offensive coordinator? Would that ever happen? Probably not, no. Okay. But the Eagles went into their post-Super Bowl season with a first-time head athletic trainer, a first-time team orthopedist, and a first-time NFL primary care doctor. It's hard to even cover for each other in some ways. Not that they did a bad job, and not that they're whatever, but there's something to speak out of experience, right, of how to handle things and and what to do. Experience in life absolutely is the best teacher, and the more that you've experienced, the better in the situation. I mean, just imagine from a doctor's perspective, trainers as well. I mean, the more injuries you've seen, how people can heal, the different positions heal a little bit differently. What you need from your players from different positions certainly can be impacted on, um, you know, on, on Sundays. And, and what you need is usually told from you by the experience that you have in the NFL. And so and you're right. It's absolutely hard to go in there and say, hey, I don't have any experience. And this is my first time the first week of the season. That, that sounds kind of crazy, but it sounds like this has happened before. It certainly has happened in Philadelphia, I believe. I think there probably was some growing pains along the way. Um, and, 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 and I think if you had some guys uh, an opportunity to do it again, they may do it a little bit differently than they have um, these last couple of years in Philly. And to be sure, I'm not being critical of any of them. I can tell you my first couple of years in the league as a head team doctor, I think I did a good job, I would like to think. But I think I was better later on. I mean, you know, just to be honest, I mean, Brian, I'm not bagging on the Eagles physicians one bit at all. I'm saying from even from my own experience, I was a better doctor later on. I'd like to think I did a good job early on. But early on, I was the youngest head team physician ever 
And for the first eight years, there was at least one player on the team older than me. And I felt like, you know, you all were my brothers and that maybe gave me an advantage. But I was young. I worked with the Vikings and Bears a little bit. So I had a little bit of an idea, but not as much as later on. And I got braver later on and being stronger in my recommendations of play or not play and otherwise because of experience, as you say. And it's just hard to come into a new situation without experience. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And uh, you get better with time, even as a uh, team doctor. Not everything is perfect. So I certainly would defend the medical staff. They're, they're doing what you can. And uh, that, that's about all you can say. So to wind up here a little bit, tell us a story. I wish I could play the game like uh, you and Adam Lefko do and draw a card out and whatever. I'm just not that creative. <laughs> so give me your most unusual injury story or the hardest injury or something that injury related that people wouldn't know or a take on on that since this is an injury podcast well you know my the most significant injury that i had throughout my playing career now this didn't happen in the nfl but in 1996 i tore my acl so i was one of the you know i was highly recruited in, in my junior year of high school and going into my senior year i stepped in a groundhog hole and partially tore my ACL. And mm -hmm. so because it was my senior year, I had to kind of weigh like, okay, well, what the heck do you do? You don't, you have no tape, you know, this is your year that you get an opportunity to put a highlight film together so that you can show to coaches and, and basically try to get us, get a scholarship. And at that point I had no tape. It was during the summertime. And so what we decided to do was for me to scope it, for them to kind of clean it out and shave down my ACL just a bit and then go out there you know, work on the swelling, strengthen my quad muscles, my leg muscles, my glutes, all of that, calves as well, and go out there and play. And so my senior season, I may may have played maybe five games with the, uh, you know, with one of those uh, braces and a torn ACL. And I played basketball mm -hmm. with a brace and a torn ACL again. And it was because of that, my ability to go play basketball, the, the coaches at Villanova said, okay, well, we'll take a flyer on you. We'll take a chance. We, we see you can move and everything like that. And so I went and played my first two years at Villanova with no problems. My first year, I played with the brace. My second year, I did not play with the brace. Going into my third year, I tore my cartilage, my meniscus, and they tried to repair that. And that did not take. And, you know, because there's not a, a lot of blood flow there in the meniscus. And mm -hmm. because that did not take, you know, it, it became August. My knee continued to swell up over and over and over. And they were like, listen, we, we got to go in here and fix this meniscus. But while we're in there, we might as well repair your, completely repair your ACL. And so mm. my junior year in college, I didn't play at all. I redshirted. And because they went in and repaired my, you know, it, I think they ended up taking out my meniscus probably for the most part. And they repaired my ACL while, while they were in there. And so, you know, a lot of people were wondering how I got to Villanova. That's how I got to Villanova. But also, you know, I, I had to deal with, you know, kind of returning that ACL, but also messing up that meniscus a little bit there. I was able to play, but it was it was after a year of rehab. Gotcha. So my two takeaways from that, Brian, are first of all, uh, you're the original Philip Rivers playing through an ACL tear. Remember his <laughs> I was involved in his That's AFC right. championship game. And that was quarterback, which is easier than running back. So you're the original there. The yeah, second yeah. part I would say is See, even your doctor's there. It's not cookie cutter. You have a partial tear, you have a tear, this is what happens. It's not cookie cutter. Because you were a senior, because of this, they sort of were a little edgier here, wear a brace, and then keep playing, it worked out. That's kind of what they did with Zach Ertz. I get kidney right. makes more people more anxious, but I always say it's about customizing care. You don't treat the high school player the same as you do a NFL player. You don't treat every NFL player the same. It depends on the position, depends on the point of their career, early, late, early, week one, week 17, right? I mean, depends on the type of running back that they are, right? Are they ACL right. dependent or whatever? It's all about the art of medicine. Just like you don't run a draw play the same way every time, right? I mean, exactly. depending on who you're playing against, and who your blockers are and what the situation in the game and the score is, you, you, you approach it a little bit differently. That's one of the uh, take-home messages of this. Brian, we could talk for a lot longer, but I promised you 15 minutes or so. I really appreciate it. I apologize for my mistiming. I should have done it a week earlier. Or maybe your eagle should have won, and then we would all be happier here. Uh, that would have made my Monday a lot happier, I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right. 
Well, Brian, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate the time and anything I can do for you, you let me know. I appreciate you. Anything else you want to talk about or plug before we go? No, I mean, I, I just appreciate you having me on. Of course, I always try to plug my website, bwestbrook.com. That's bwestbrook.com. We have all the information about my foundation where we're trying to help as many kids in the Maryland and D.C. and Philadelphia and New York area as we try to empower them and show them the right way to be successful in, in this world. And so I, I certainly appreciate your time, Doc. And, and I'm going to be calling you soon because I need to find out about these injuries as soon as they happen. And I know you're watching them all. And I, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Brian. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the divisional round playoff rundown on the ProFootball.podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. All right. Welcome back to segment three of the pro football doc podcast. And obviously, uh, I'm not a good guest booker. I mean, the Eagles (laughs) lost. (laughs) I had to ask someone ahead of time and Brian was kind enough to say yes. So I, uh, I, uh, went with it. I mean, I guess I should have uh, asked Russell Wilson, but I didn't. Just hey, you should have gotten Wilson. with me because I know all the Green Bay Packers. I could have brought one of them on here, but then we would have to call this the Pro Football Dog Podcast with a little bit too much Wisconsin. Well, I'll tell you what. Deal, Greg. The Packers are playing this weekend. Let's get a Packers guest on next week. I can Hopefully do it. They'll, they'll win. Okay, let's do it. You, I'll let Greg, you've been a great producer for me all this time. and Produce away. Let's get all a, right. a Packers Woo. Do it. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. So anyways, here, the divisional round injury rundown will concentrate more on the games coming up and what the injuries are. First game is Minnesota Vikings versus San Francisco 49ers on Saturday. Dalvin Cook, we talked about it. As expected, he was fine. He was going to be fine. I believe he could have played week 16 when there was a little chance of the Vikings getting out of the sixth seed. The Vikings chose not to play him. What that told me was they wanted him fresh for the playoffs. They were okay with the sixth seed. The chances of they just wanted to get Dalvin Cook to 100%. And he was. 28 carries, 94 yards, two touchdowns, three receptions, 36 yards. So 31 touches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. And, yes, he did have two injuries. He's wearing a less left shoulder strap harness, which indicated a left shoulder labral tear or instability, which is what we said, on top of his right SC joint, which, by the way, should be fine, was fine for this game against New Orleans and will be fine against San Francisco. No further worries. Alexander Madison, someone else that I think could have played week 16 and 17, but they waited for for him to be fine. I think he had six touches for 30 yards. can see more out of him, too. Eric Kendricks with the quad. I thought he could continue that week 17 game, but he was got the quick hook. Why? To get ready for the playoffs. And he did well with five combined tackles. Where the Vikings are hurting is in the secondary. Mike Hughes' neck was placed on injured reserve. Mackenzie Alexander missed the game with a knee injury. And now it's said he has a, quote, small lateral meniscus tear. Well, look, if he has a scope... His playoffs are done, but he could come back for the Super Bowl if the uh, Vikings get there. This one I'm a little curious on. I'm sure there are reasons. As I always say, from the inside, things always make make sense. From the outside, if they don't. If you had a meniscus tear week 17 and you knew he wasn't going to play in the wild card round, why not just scope it after week 17? Then you might be okay for this divisional round, but if not, you'd be fine for the conference round. Right now... He's kind of up against it. Can he play this week? If he has a scope, his next two weeks are done. We'll see what happens with Mackenzie Alexander. But that's the Vikings' area of weakness to watch on their cornerbacks. The 49ers seem to be getting healthy. D Ford, I think, will be fine with that hamstring. I think he's been rested for this week coming up. Same for Jaquiski's tart. The ribs, the ribs should be behind him. Even if there was a little lung issue, the ribs, he will be 100%. Ford and Tart. Juan Alexander won't be 100%. He hurt his pec, tore his pec four days after J.J. Watt. And so he's getting an extra 11 days from J.J. Watt. He's got the extra week plus the four days. 
but it is harder to play linebacker with a pec tear because there's a lot more reaching, grasping, and wrapping up that you need to do. J.J. Watt, with his speed rush, bull rush, shoulder guys, working in more confined space. So it is a little harder for Quan Alexander to play. And no, offa- no offense to Quan, he's a really good player, but he's not defensive player of the year caliber like J.J. Watt has been. So, you know, 80% of J.J. Watt's pretty darn good. 80% of Quan Alexander, I think he's still good, but not necessarily great. So we'll see if he's active, but San Francisco otherwise is pretty darn healthy. The second Saturday game, Titans versus the Ravens. Looking forward to this game. The Titans, Derrick Henry, all this hamstring concern, and he's been fine. He's been able to deal with it. He's, he's a beast there. The last two games, week 17 and wildcard game, both essentially playoff games for the Titans. Must win to get in or must win to move on games with a hamstring issue. 66 attempts for 393 yards and four touchdowns. That's a pretty good four-game haul, much less two-game haul. So he's averaging 33 yards, um, 33 attempts, almost 200 yards and two touchdowns in the last two games. I think his hamstring is fine. No worries on Derrick Henry. Adoree Jackson's back. He missed a month with a foot issue, and he played well. Four passes defended. That's a big number, as well as four uh, tackles. He should be fine. Jayon Brown, their linebacker, not so lucky. I think he dislocated his shoulder. It's funny, Greg, when I put out there, looks like a left shoulder dislocation reduced on the field, going to be hard to return. By the time I looked at the video and typed up the tweet, apparently in two plays, he was back already. And people were like, ah, rough day. You don't know what you're talking about. I just left the tweet up there. and He continued to play. and. Uh, I think another handful of plays later, re-aggravated the shoulder and was out for good with the left shoulder. I did see that. But yeah, and uh, that's, why, that's why I make a policy of not deleting tweets. If I'm wrong, I'll leave it up wrong. I mean, and I'll take the hit, but I don't try and do that. And, and you got to remember, it's just video, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at the same video everyone else on TV has seen. And unfortunately, it was correct, and uh, he exited again. But let me tell you this. First-time shoulder dislocations. Very hard to come back in a week as well. Not impossible, but hard. Two weeks, Jayon Brown could be back, play with a shoulder harness. One week, tough. Not impossible, but tough. Adam Humphreys did not play wide receiver. The, the Titans have some wide receiver issues. Adam Humphreys, ankle didn't play. Don't know yet whether he'd be able to play this week. And wide relief, wide receiver three and four, sorry, three and five, Khalif Raymond and Cody Hollister did not play. So we'll have to keep an eye on the wide receivers positions for the Titans. Baltimore Ravens, really only one name. Earl Thomas is fine. Marquise Brown had lingering issues in the beginning of the year. He's fine. Mark Andrews, his ankle was rested up. He's going to be fine. Mark Ingram is the only one. I'm not so sure he's fine. I'm sure because it's the playoffs he's going to play, but I'm not sure he's going to be 100%. I'm not sure I buy this. He's going to fully practice this week. We'll have to see. Remember, there's a lot of, you can full practice and not be 100%. Full practice means you did everything in practice. You don't have to do everything at 100% speed to be listed as full practice. So there is some gamesmanship that can happen. Limited practice can mean anything from one play to 99% of the plays. Full practice just means you did everything and you could do everything, but it doesn't mean you had to do it at 100%. So keep an eye on Mark Ingram. That's the main issue and injury for Baltimore. Sunday's game, Texans versus Chiefs. That should be fun. We talked about J.J. Watson already. Do I think he's going to play 50-some plays? No. I think that was an okey-doke aberration. I think he's going to be slotted to play 25, 30. He may get to 50, depending on the game. But I think it's going to be mostly in pass rushdowns. That's where he's going to be most effective. Run defense, not so much. Here's where I was right on J.J. Watt, Greg, and here's where I was wrong. I was right on how he would be effective, uh, that he wouldn't be able to wrap up and hard to keep linemen's hands from getting on him. And once they got on him, he'd be very hard to dislodge them. But I thought they would keep him at left defensive end 
so he could speed rush, have a healthy right arm to get the blocker off for him and speed rush to the outside. But he had a couple pretty good rushes from other spots, including the right side. Although he couldn't use his left arm as well to get the left tackle off of him. He did get a couple quarterback hits and pressures. And I think what I underestimated is J.J. Watt's speed. So I was mostly right. But J.J. Watt's speed, if you rush against a guy all game on the same side, that's can kind of get used to the speed. It's like uh, seeing uh, a guy throw 95 miles an hour. You're not going to hit him the first time but or 100. But if you keep seeing the pitch, you can speed things up and, and get there. By moving him, I think it was a new batter, a new hitter. It was a fastball to a new hitter. So he beat the left tackle a couple times, et cetera. So I think it was smart to move him around a, a little bit like they did. Anyways, uh, he should be fine and play again. Will Fuller apparently is going to return to play with his groin and hamstring. I don't think he's the full complement of the route tree. He mostly go routes still, but that's pretty much what he does. So that's good. Jonathan Joseph did not play with the hamstring. Don't know his status yet for this week. Although Bradley Roby did very well with his hamstring. Seven solos and tackles led the team. Hamstrings are hard for cornerbacks to play through. Jaleel Adai with an Achilles had two tackles. Left the game briefly, returned. Hard to say. I think he'll still live along and play. That's pretty much it for the Texans. For the Chiefs, Andrew Wiley, their left guard, has an ankle issue, which I do believe he will play through. And Juan Thornhill tore his ACL week 17. So he's done for the year and will not play. And finally, Seahawks versus Green Bay Packers. Seahawks continue to be banged up running back. No Chris Carson, no Rashad Penny, no CJ Procise all out for the year. Michael Kendricks has not been put on injured reserve, but he is headed there as soon as they need a roster spot. He tore his ACL the week before. Dwayne Brown missed the game, did not play, has a chance to return. Mike Yopati missed the game. Did not play. Two key offensive linemen that might be able to come back. A couple wide receivers, Jerron Brown and Malik Turner, did not play. Both might be able to play. At least one of them, I think, will. Ziggy answers the big question. Left the game with a neck issue, determined to be a stinger. Look at what he does in practice. If he's limited or not practicing, he won't play. If he's full practice, and the stinger went away quickly, he will play. So if stingers don't go away Within a few minutes or a couple hours, they linger. So watch this one. If he's back, that's good news. The Packers, your Packers, from which we will have a fantastic guest. Hey, Greg, it doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers next week, but it's up to you. You know what? We will check Aaron Rodgers' schedule. I have him on speed dial, so I'll be able to tell you within the next couple hours. All right. Sounds good. The Packers are relatively healthy. Jamal Williams with a shoulder issue in active week 17. I think that's more of rest. I think he will be able to back up Aaron Jones and be fine. Brian Balaga from his concussion. He's not cleared from the concussion protocol, but he is practicing. So how can that happen? We are supposed to gradually get back to full practice and make sure you have no symptoms before you go see the concussion specialist for the final clearance. So practicing is part of the protocol. I'm not worried about Brian Balaga. There's no rush to clear him. He can full practice without being cleared. He'll just, whenever it's convenient for the concussion doctor and when Balaga can get there without missing practice, I believe he'll get there and pass the concussion protocol. So at least I'm leaving you with a little bit of good news there, Greg. Any other questions here from the Twitter sphere or anything else? I'm taking a look, and I know that there were quite a few people asking about Tua from earlier in the week, and then I did see the tweet of what you were saying, that he probably should be coming back and stuff like that. So you cleared it all up. You did terrific. All right, piece of the week. Pretty easy, but I'm going to make it a tie. Two beasts of the week, the two obvious ones, J.J. Watt and Zach Ertz. J.J. Watt, are you kidding me? It's a four- to six-month recovery. Maybe you can do it in three. He does it in two, two and a half. And he's effective, but he's J.J. Watt, right? I mean, he accommodated. He did the right thing. And he didn't even, I think he went through the process the right way to, to play, think about it, do it in a smart fashion. So J.J. Watt is a beast for setting a new standard. And Zach Ertz, look, after the game, he relayed three rib fractures, two to the bony ribs and one to the cartilage, a kidney laceration. 
and he took his chances and played. Contributed some, a couple catches. Good for him. Came out of it unscathed. But that's a beast to make the decision to play through three rib fractures and a kidney issue. So Zach Ertz and J.J. Watt, the beast of the week here. All right, that's it for the Pro Football Doc podcast this week. Uh, Looking forward to uh, chatting again next week. I love these two games on Saturday and two on Sunday. I prefer it to a regular week. I don't know that my wife agrees. (laughs) My kids actually, my wife said to me, and she goes, don't take this the wrong way. It was really very cute. The kids said that they missed daddy. They wish he was around the house more. Because normally I'm always around on Saturday, right? And I really wasn't as much this week and she's like don't take that the wrong way it's it's nice that the kids watch you around probably is the subtle dig of how much longer are the playoffs going on <laughs> well i could tell her just one more week of saturday and sunday right and then the one final saturday here i'm looking forward to it thanks for listening pro football dog podcast catch you all next week